we have been engaging with, hearing from the gospel of John, a gospel of belief from the very, uh, gosh, 35-ish weeks now. So we've been in it for a run, and we're finishing up kind of the, what, what, what some people call the book of signs, uh, uh, which is Jesus' work and his public ministry, and then we transition to what some call the book of glory, which is uh, the upper room, and Jesus is with his disciples before he dies, which John gives a chunk of his gospel to, and then his death, burial, and resurrection. So we're getting to that point. We're now into chapter 12, which is starting to get Jesus back to Jerusalem. But remember where we were. We were just in chapter 11, where they had decided it's time to put Jesus to death. And with that in mind, I was thinking about today's passage. And my house, our house, is in a a constant process of being cleaned, but it's never, it never arrives. We are, in general, a stacking kind of cleaning house. Maybe you guys understand what I mean. Just put it in piles. If you put it in piles, it can be this high, but it's only taking up, you know, this much space on the counter. So we're big on piles at our house, and I have this little office off of the bedroom, which is weird because the house is 40 years old. Who knew that I was going to live there? Uh, but there's this little office, and it's full of files, and I have a weird filing system, so it takes me a while to sit down and, you know, use my label maker. Yes, I'm that nerdy. Use my label maker to whatever the file is and put it in there, and you, you start to toss stuff. My, my CPA buddy said, you only need to keep a, a tax records for this long, so I went shred happy a while back. It's like, man, I have... I have Way too many records. i got to get rid of some of these. Uh, so started. To, I'm getting rid of stuff. You do the purging as you go through your files. I haven't fully digitized everything like some of you do. And I'm finding old medical bills and, and like surgery or, or you know, whatever the hospital charge or whatever the pediatric surgeon. And, and I'm holding on to these. I'm looking at them. They're, you know, they're old. They're old. And... I'm coming up with this like, I don't know if I want to throw these away. You ever felt that way? Like where you see something that you, you don't know what to do with it. Like you clearly you're done. The bill has been paid. Like it wasn't sitting, it's not a past due notice from 13 years ago or whatever. So it's not that. It's just, it's for me a reminder of a season of our life where the Lord continued to provide and, and, and cost had a different meaning. What something cost changed when you have a child and that child needs intervention and you no longer are concerned, like whatever it takes. You ever had that kind of attitude? Like whatever it takes, it doesn't even matter anymore. And so praise the Lord for insurance that covered that. Praise the Lord for, you know, HSAs or whatever else and family and friends and prayers and everything else. But I just, there was this moment where you just get to go, yeah, we, have, we, just kind of, we were all in to care for a kid and you, the bills stacked up, and we just kind of, it's just neat to see God's provision from all those years ago. So I kept old medical bills, and I, you know, you can show the kids and go, remember how much you cost us? Uh, <laughs> but a constant reminder that uh, there are things in life where money isn't money. And there are things in life when value is totally turned upside down and it no longer matters what happens a week from now or two weeks from now or three weeks from now. And I honestly don't even care how you feel about it, 
right? Like you throw it. Well, I don't know if it's bad stewardship. I just don't know if it's wise, right? We always use wisdom and everyone to make somebody feel bad about what they do. But all of us have these things where the value associated with it is different than the dollars that get spent. Now, for many, it is their family. Whatever it takes, whatever we need, whatever we have to do. I don't care about the bills, we'll figure it out later. For others, it is their vocation. I will show up to work every single day because i got to make the money. And it's where I find my value. For others, people just simply love money. Really, they just love money. And they will sacrifice family and friends and everything else so they can have more. The things that we associate value with change the way we view money. If you value money, it gets an odd cost in your heart, doesn't it? Because you're actually willing to burn bridges to get more. If you value job, you might do the same thing. I like the way I feel when I get an attaboy at work or an attagirl at work and they tell me I'm doing a good job. I like that. I like people to know that I'm doing a good job, and that matters a lot to me. And so what if I'm not quite as present in the house? So what if I have to skip time with my church family all the time? i got to work, got to work. need to find that value. Some of it's family. We all have those things. But what do we get to see in today's passage? What we value comes out of us. The things we value come out of us. And it causes us to make different decisions or to say different things when those values get pushed or prodded or challenged. You're going to see this in two ways. Two characters in Jesus' life, as he's getting close to his death, where value is demonstrated differently. Two people looking at the same situation, interpreting it quite differently. You're going to see this between Mary. You're going to see this between Judas but you also know that Judas, is, Judas was kind of a mouthpiece for probably how the disciples felt in general. So you see Mary's response to Jesus, the value she placed upon him. You see Judas's response to what Mary did and the value he placed on money. Both of these show up right here in this passage. Remember John being the gospel of belief? I write these things so that you might believe. We see in John that challenge about money And how does your belief in Jesus change how you even treat things? How does it change how you even view things? So as we go through this, we're going to just take it in a a few ways. We're going to get the setting right. We're going to see the perspective of these people close to Jesus. And then what's the principle for us? Because there are things going on in the story that only pertain to the story. Meaning, no one else here is anointing Jesus' body for burial. That happened. And so no, no, no one here is going to be doing that. But we can see from what goes on in the story that the things that we do are changed in value based upon Jesus' declaration of it, which becomes pretty cool. So we start with the setting. That kind of gets us from where we were in 1155 up until 12.2. And the setting is pretty simple. Jesus at dinner with friends. If you were part of our parenting night on Friday night, you were at dinner with friends. You know, we had a table here and a table here and a table here, about 30 of us together just eating dinner and talking about parenting, and you heard a lot of laughing, 
You heard just conversation around the tables. You know, like it, it, that's, that's what you had, people at dinner with friends. Now, this, the, the dinner setting's a little different because imagine there aren't tables, but imagine kind of like a U setting, okay? So it's like, like this, and the server can kind of come into the middle and put the food where it needs to go. So just imagine kind of that guy had got a room in his house, and you can do that setting. And remember that people recline on their side while they eat. They don't sit in chairs, which is just, again, different, Different than how he's like, hey, come on, come on, lie down beside me. We're going to have some dinner. Like, if I said that to any of you, you might be like, this feels weird. But what we realize as we even get into that setting is that people are still looking for Jesus. Remember, religious holidays for Israel became times of heightened messianic expectation. The Messiah hadn't come, as far as they knew. Some were starting to get it. And so as we're getting closer to the Passover, that Passover, people are looking for Jesus. Jesus has not been shy about teaching when he's in Jerusalem. There have been crowds for years in his ministry coming, and so we're at another Passover. People are looking for Jesus. Verse 55, the Passover was at hand. Many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And what are they doing? But they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus, and they're asking one another, do you think he's going to show? Is he going to come? Is he going to come to the feast at all? He usually shows up to feast, and he teaches. He does stuff. But there's also the challenge of the fact that they're ready now to kill him. We saw the previous passage last week that Jesus went away, a little farther away to Ephraim, to to hide, not to hide, but to to get away from the people who were going to try and travel to kill him. Hide's the wrong word there. So he he got farther away, but now he's going to come back closer because he knows his time is coming. So he's farther away, he's coming back closer. Remember, Bethany's two miles away from Jerusalem, so he's he's within proximity of people finding him and bringing him to Jerusalem. So people are looking for him, and Jesus is at a dinner that's being held in his honor. Verses 1 and 2, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, and they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one climbing at the, reclining at the table with him. He's eating dinner. The Messiah eating dinner, which I first of all just love because you get a, you get a meal. Jesus at dinner, now think about this just from a human, just think about this from a human perspective. When you know, for example, let's say doctors say you have a week to live. What do you start to do? You start to invest in the people you love. I'm not saying that Jesus is exclusively investing in the people that he loves because he dies for everybody, right? A week from this point, he's going to die for the world. Or not far from this point, he's going to die for the world. But where do we find him six days before the Passover? With Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, with his disciples, two miles from Jerusalem, having a dinner held in his honor. What we see right after this is what will be Palm Sunday, but in in August, where he comes into Jerusalem And everything changes from that point on. So you could say, in a sense, this is kind of the calm before the storm. Before everything happens that Passion Week, before all the intensity that goes on, you can find Jesus having dinner 
with Lazarus and his family. Who's with him? That crew. If you look at Matthew and Mark, because there are four, there's an anointing story in each gospel. And figuring out what happens where can get a little, little funny because Mark and John and Matthew put him in, in, or John and Matthew put him in Bethany. Mark puts him in Bethany. Matthew and Mark put him at the home of Simon the leper. John doesn't put him in the home of anybody, just puts him in Bethany. So three gospels place Jesus in Bethany. But depending on what happens, there's an emphasis on cost in, in John and in Matthew and in Mark. But in Matthew and in Mark, the head is anointed, Jesus' head is anointed, and in John, Jesus' feet are anointed. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't take long to, to see, if you look at Matthew, Mark, and, and John, that, that it seems like there's one event that each one's telling in a way that they're telling. It's the same event. They're just explaining aspects of it differently. So John, not talking about where the ha- what happened in the house or whose house it was. Now, Luke tells the story of somebody anointing Jesus, but they're at the house of a Pharisee, and, the, and we don't know where it is, but the emphasis is on the sinfulness of the woman and, her head, or, and Jesus' head and feet are anointed. So we see an anointing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I would argue that there are really two stories being told. Matthew, Mark, and John are telling one, and Luke's telling another. But he has this group around him. The man he raised from the dead, his sisters, his disciples. And he's eating dinner. And something's about to happen at that dinner, which you just don't expect. Now, anybody who has served in, like, for example, food service knows that a good waiter or waitress or server or barista, whomever, shouldn't wear fragrances because fragrances mess with food. So you're eating while your server has perfume on. You're just like, I can't, my food tastes like, like fragrance. doesn't taste like food. Mary, not all that concerned about ruining people's dinner based upon the smell of the ointment, which is a weird word for us because ointment is something you generally get from the pharmacy. But we're going to see these two perspectives that show up as there's this meal amongst friends, and through this, and we see belief and unbelief demonstrated through <clears throat> devotion and disdain, with Mary demonstrating devotion and Judas, and by way of Judas, some of the other disciples demonstrating disdain for the act. Look at what happens in verse 3. Mary shows her devotion, giving of what she had. Mary takes a pound, which is a Roman pound. It's like like three quarters of a pound, of our pound, of of this fragrance. You could say perfume. Uh, They call it ointment. And nard, it it came from northern India and it traveled a long way. Which just demonstrates that either this family was a wealthy family or maybe it was even something that was inherited, passed along, right? Because usually the things that get passed along in your family are the valuable things. Don't use it until you need to. So it's not like in this gigantic container, but it is in a flask that you can see, and there it is, and, and it costs something significant from an earthly perspective, about a year's wages. About a year's wages. 
If a denarius is one day's wages, and this is about 300, you can do the math. It's an expensive perfume. But not to Mary. It wasn't expensive to her. Because she had made her decision on what or who was valuable. And it tilted the tables in Jesus' favor. And something that even was a year's wages, I mean, the only thing that we can generally even associate with it is maybe a vehicle. But most of us drive, like ours, old vehicles, so it's at least two of our vehicles, if not three, if we had a third, right? Like, like you know, or, 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 or a fourth of our house value, whatever it is, right? Maybe the equity in your house. Sell it and just go, here you go, Jesus. But it wasn't just money. It was something that clearly, think about this, this, this gift, this, this, this perfume. The family knew she had it. If you have something that valuable, you don't, you don't not let your family know that you have it. Why would you? I was, you know, it's homeowner's insurance time for us. And so we got the new quote. Everybody's quotes are just... Right? They're just going up and up and up, and you hate it, and you call your agent, and you go, can, is there any way, like, uh, can we just get through a year and not have homeowner's insurance? You think the mortgage company would figure it out? Got the Cheneys over here, Brandy going, don't do that. Like, that's a problem. <clears throat> and I'm talking to them, I go, how do we get this cheaper? Or what else do we need? What other coverages do we need? They go, do you have any valuables in your home? And I'm like, ha! <laughs> other than the people, not really. No, I mean, like, it, you know, all our, all our furniture has been given to us or bought on the cheap. It's falling apart. Things are broken. No, you could, you could steal everything in our house. Now, anybody listening online, I would encourage you not to just come over to our house and steal anything you want. But, like, it, it's, like, do you have rings or paintings? I'm like, rings or paintings? There's nothing on our walls. There's, like, tape on our walls when the kids throw stuff at them, and they have, like, little targets they make. That's what's on our walls. So no, we don't have anything valuable like that. But if we had a perfume that was worth forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, yeah, I might be wondering what it would cost to insure personal property to the tune of fifty, sixty thousand dollars, whatever that would be, whatever a day's wages would be. So she comes in, she breaks that flask, and in what must have taken. 10 seconds, 20 seconds, pours out a year's wages on Jesus. Like that. John, which I, I love these Yohanine details. If you just look at the, verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Eyewitness testimony, things that you may not consider to write into the story. The whole place did this. I, in eighth grade, uh, bought some aftermarket, you're like, you're like uh, counterfeit jupe. Remember that cologne, jupe, in New York City? And I, uh, just in the airplane on the way back, just one time. One of the dumber things I've ever done. But the airplane was filled with the fragrance of knockoff jupe. I even think the title had an exclamation point after it, if you remember that. Jupe. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
The house was filled with the, 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 the fragrance of that sacrifice. It seems like Mary didn't even have to think about it. You know, it wasn't like, okay, well, I have, I have this one. I, this, this one's not much less expensive. We could use that one, too. I have that one. It was like, what's the costliest? What's the most valuable? What's the craziest thing that I could give to demonstrate the value of this man, Jesus, who not only changed my life, but raised my brother? What do you, what do, you do for that? What do you do for that? When the, when the pediatric surgeon comes in and tells me, your son's fine. I just broke down. I mean, what, what am I going to do? Like, well, insurance will cover. I mean, I have nothing. I have, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Nothing to give, nothing to do. I, I'm just, just kind of, I'm undone because this is months of anticipation of what is it going to be like. And then all of a sudden, everything seems to be okay. Mary had been changed by this man, Jesus. Changed by him. A dollar wasn't a dollar. A year's wages wasn't a year's wages. It was just an offering to a gracious, loving Savior. Now I want to focus on Judas's reply because interesting, one verse goes to what Mary did and multiple verses go to the reply of Judas and the response of Jesus. If you just look at how it's parceled out, Judas's frustration and Jesus' reply to Judas gets more play. Judas has disdain. He's so annoyed because he looks and he says something that sounds virtuous but isn't. You ever done that? Where you, you kind of you, you act like you're taking the high road, but really you're not. He just looks and goes, what a ridiculous thing to do. Do you have any idea how much that cost? You ever said that yourself? Do you know how much that cost? It's like when you go to a restaurant with somebody, they go, Take, get whatever you want. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't really mean whatever you want. Like that means whatever's less than what you got. That's what that means. That's why if you ever say get whatever you want, the person who says that should order the most expensive thing. Just set the bar so no one else will jump over it. But if you really want to be bold, go higher than your, your host. So Judas feigns indignance because he uses illustration of, oh, well, this could have been given to the poor. But he didn't really care about it being given to the poor, did he? You've already seen that as you march along. His frustration is less about the poor, but because he wanted the money. These little details give us, give us a, a view of the ministry of Jesus that we don't even really think about. Like, I think some of us imagine the ministry of Jesus was just like when the disciples were like, we're hungry. And he was just like, boop, right? Just created food for them every time. We have stories, miraculous stories of Jesus feeding. <clears throat> Other times, and I might even say most of the time, 
Jesus in the ministry of the disciples was moved along by the generosity of others. That's why there was a treasurer. Judas was the treasurer. And so people would give offerings, and they would provide, and they would cook, and they would have money. And Judas is going, if you sold this and gave us the money for the ministry, we would be able to do more work. But really all he meant was, I could take it. I could use it. That's, that's really what Judas did. So, so Mary values Jesus, Judas values money. So when Mary values Jesus, a year's wages isn't a year's wages, a year's wages is worship. Judas values money, and a year's wages poured out on Jesus' feet is money out of his pocket that he is stealing. It's almost almost as if John, who, who can't, he can't, even, he can't even say Judas' name without saying what he was the one who was going to betray him. <clears throat> Whenever you see Judas references, like, oh yeah, Judas, that Judas. So Judas said the one who was going to betray him, why didn't we just have this? Now this kind of view of worth and cost can creep into our church's lives all the time. Because, I mean, you heard Joey's financial update Last week, and he joked about Matt's manicures and pedicures that he gets just to be sure we, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's appropriately. As far as I know, Matt's never gotten a manicure in his life, just FYI, uh, nor has he used the church card for it. Uh, But even like in a personal sense, we take this seriously. If you have a church card, like every dollar I spend gets seen. Somebody sees it. And you go, hold on, Hans, like did the church, where's that Lamborghini the church bought? Like, I don't do that. Do I need that? Thanks. Okay. All right. So, I think he just wanted us to see the cup match the shirt. So we see this transition, and we see Jesus' response. And I love Jesus' response because he does two things. <clears throat> he redirects Judas's point, and, and he brings more value to Mary's gift than Mary could have brought. <clears throat> so track with me here. Jesus said, verse 7, leave her alone so that she may keep it, which is a weird, it's a weird wording. The wording itself, you read different translations, it's a weird wording, which seems to be the best way to get this versus keep it for the day of my burial. Like, so is she holding on to it? It clearly says that she got rid of all of it, right? Like, or the idea is like the whole house was, was filled with fragrance. And so it seems like the way we should take this idea is that she is, she is doing something, preparing me for the day of my burial. So in that moment, I would, I would say this. Mary didn't know what she was doing in the sense that I got to get ready for Jesus' burial. Mary was bringing something of earthly cost to the Savior. 
And Jesus ascribed greater value to the offering than Mary could have or Judas could have. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's preparing my body for burial. Then you look at verse 8. For the poor will always, you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. The point being, Judas, I know you're angry, but not really. You're just angry that you don't get more money. But the ministry you're worried about will always happen. But the ministry, Jesus' ministry on earth will not always happen. So let her do what she's doing. This verse is not about not ministering to the poor. This verse is not about going, oh yeah, they'll always be there, it's no big deal. It's this specific moment in the ministry of Jesus where Mary does something that points to what's about to happen. But this is the beautiful thing. This is the beautiful thing about this whole, this whole declaration of Mary's gift is that Jesus said, and again, scribed more value to it than you or I could have. And this is what's awesome about worship in and of itself. This is why when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we huddle up here to pray, we are praying that God does more with what we do and how we serve than we ourselves could have anticipated. That when we give our dollars, and we open our homes, and we serve with our lives, and we're in those classrooms offering ourselves as kids, teaching them this same story. When we do those things, and we think, well, I'm giving a little bit of my time for 90 minutes. No, you are not. You are doing something that God will use greater than you would have ever anticipated. That's why Jesus will say things like, if you give one of these a glass of water, you're doing it for me. That, that when we ascribe to Jesus the value that he has, he actually increases the value that we even thought we were ascribing I can spend $10 on me, or I can spend $10 on you in Christ's name, and the $10 becomes far more important than $10, far more valuable than $10. And that goes all the way up to if it's $10,000 or $20,000 or $100,000 or half a million or $10 million, God ascribes more value than you will or the world will. Because he's in control and we always have these ways of going, oh, well, I, just, I just can't give that much, or I can't do that, or I'm not this person. We don't have, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because, because what it is is an act of worship when we see Jesus and his value, and then we act and respond based upon that value. The way I'll define worship often is worship is a response to God as he has been revealed. To God as he has demonstrated himself as faithful. And so Mary has seen this and she's responding to Jesus. And Jesus says, let her do it. Let her. Because she's doing something more significant than the room knew. 
as, as we end the passage, and we'll move to the, the principle here in a second, but I already think you can figure out where we're going with this. The crowds in 9, 10, and 11 are now looking for Jesus and for Lazarus. I mean, in fairness, if any of you were resurrected, I would want to find you too. So they're looking for Jesus and for Lazarus. Some will see as they head into the uh, Palm Sunday next week, as we head in, there'll be those who saw Lazarus and saw the work, and they're talking about it and testifying about it. But people want to see Jesus, and they want to see Lazarus. And so the chief priests, remember, they're only looking by sight. They're like, well, let's kill Jesus and Lazarus. Let's go ahead and get rid of Lazarus too, because he seems to be causing us some problems as well. Let's just, you know, it's like a mob hit. Because on account of him, I believe that would be Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Where you go, I saw what happened to him, I'm going to believe in the guy who did it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to believe in him. They're losing their grip, losing their control. But what is for us, as we've talked about it, what is conversion? But that very same thing, we're losing our control on life. And we go, it's the Lord Jesus. He has it. And so I, I want to I break this down because I think we all know this story. We're familiar with it to some degree. We, I, I didn't go around spraying jupe this morning so the whole room smelled a certain way. But, you know, we... we we see this, and we see the value, and we might go, I don't know what to do with a story where I don't have a year's wages item to bring. Maybe you do. That'd be great, but I don't have a year's wages item to bring. I don't have a way to demonstrate my devotion in that, in that capacity. <clears throat> if we think about it only in terms of dollars, we're missing the point again. Okay? So I'm going to try to bring this to a point of a principle, and then maybe some ways we could think about this as people living in 2022, trying to figure out, how do I do this when I'm not anointing Jesus for burial at all? He's died, resurrected, ascended, sent the Spirit. It's kind of a different, it's a different world now. Here's the principle. I'm sure you would have caught this if I put it on a multiple choice, even as we began, that there is no more worthy treasure than Jesus. Okay. There is no more worthy treasure than Jesus. Now, we've heard these, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We've heard these things. So treasure, value, perspective, money, all of that's there. But there's no more worthy treasure than Jesus. Now, let's go back to what Mary does, and let's consider a few things together, okay? So Mary brings something of significant earthly cost to Jesus, and, and, and in an earthly sense, ruins it on him. But the first thought I have when you think of that is sacrifice. When you treasure Jesus, possessions don't hold the same value. Time doesn't hold the same value. We've talked before, and I'll say it again as the drum will kind of beat. Discipleship in and of itself, investing in other people so they might grow into maturity, is one of the least efficient ways I know of to care for people. It's a pain. You guys are a pain. I'm a pain. Like it's, it's hard to labor with somebody time and time again to give up that time. Like I just don't have a lot of money. Right, give up that time. It is, it is tiring. 
to sit with somebody, to take an evening, to take a week, to take a month, time and time again, to look them in their eyes, recount God's faithfulness to them, even that idea. But, but time doesn't even have the same cost. Possessions don't hold the same value. You're not looking around going, oh gosh, what would happen if I lose this? The question almost becomes, what would happen if I kept this? What happens to me if, I, if, if this is something I have to hold on to? If this is so valuable that if I lose it, I'm undone. This is the advice I remember my grandfather gave when the grandkids started showing up. I've said it before here. To give his, uh, his kids less concern when his grandkids came over. That would be me, the grandkid. <clears throat> if it can break, it's not worth having. But his whole point was being like, I don't care if things break. I don't have some kind of value and stuff. Which is crazy because grandpa was like a flew in World War II had two distinguished flying crosses. I think my brother lost one of them one time. I don't think it ever came back. Like it disappeared. <clears throat> so right in the display case, we opened it up, take it. But he had this way of going, I just don't want you to be worried when you're here because your presence is more valuable than the valuables. When you serve Jesus and you value Jesus, when you treasure Jesus... Possessions aren't the same. So my question to you is, what can or maybe should you let go of? What can or should you let go of? Because we all probably have those things where we go, man, if I, just, if I just let this go, I don't know what would happen. I don't know what would happen. And it's really hard. I'll even, I'll even talk in the, in the response we heard last week in giving of just planned giving, disciplined giving. And it doesn't have to be to Genesis even, like, right? But like giving to missionaries, supporting the work of the ministry, that kind of disciplined way of supporting work. If you live your life on 100% of your income, or like many people, 103% of their, your income, if that's what you take to live, then, man, I tell, any percent backwards feels like a huge loss. But maybe you're treasuring your life and your lifestyle more than your Lord. Maybe your concern is, I don't know what will happen if I, actually, if I actually discipline myself toward generosity. That's a scary place to be. What if I actually start to be more generous We'll use the word liberal. I know that word scares people in Texas, but like more liberal in how I spend. What, what, if, what, if, what if I just started to go, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll take it. I'm going to buy lunch. I got, I got this. I'll cover this. Why? Because money's not money. Anybody who's feeling the pangs of inflation knows that even right now. Money's not money even, you know, it's getting, it's getting cheaper every moment. What can you let go of? What should you let go of? Secondly, and this is an important one too in regards to worship, status. When you treasure Jesus, you don't care if you're mocked by onlookers. Judas, one of the people who've been walking with Jesus these three years, the other disciples are going, why would you let her do that? Status isn't status when you treasure Jesus. I'd rather be seen foolish with Jesus than smart around you. That's what I would rather be. So sacrifice isn't the same kind of thing. Status isn't the same kind of thing. Because I'm not worried about how you view me in my worship, in my sacrifice, in my service. It's not my concern. I don't know. Is that, are you being really wise there? 
No, I'm worshiping. Worship sometimes even might look foolish to the world. Ridiculous to the world. That's okay. That's okay. Why? Because Jesus is the ascending treasure. He is the most valuable of valuables. He is worth losing everything. This is why there are so many stories and parables about money and things and pearls and coins. Because we all relate to it. We all go, yeah, I don't know if I, you know, I don't like to play the lottery, but at $1.2 billion, maybe, maybe it's okay. You know, it's just a dollar. Maybe that's us valuing money more than Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. I would use the money for ministry, I swear. We'll see. Thirdly, purpose. When you treasure Jesus, God brings more value to your sacrifice than you can. So I want to speak to the investors in the room, which is 2022 is not the best time to speak to the investors in the room because uh, we all are ready to stop being whatever we thought we were. Where you go, hey, if I can invest money now, it'll be worth more later. That's true, right? So trying to discipline people young. I try to do this with my kids. My kids are crazy. I'm like, if we could put more money away for you now, it'll help you later than if I try to put money away for you later. So let's try to start, I try to like incentivize it right now. They don't even care for the most part. They're like, I would just rather buy the candy, dad. <clears throat> yeah, but like a piece of candy now is worth five pieces of candy in 75 years. Doesn't really work the same way. So I think in an earthly sense, we get the idea of making valuable and worthy investments. And we know that if we are disciplined and wise in how we do that, in general, it bears fruit for us later. But here's the great thing about Jesus, is that you are, if you are disciplined and generous in how you pursue him in worship and in sacrifice and in giving and in how you treasure him and how you value it now, it's not just about a great life in 60 years or 40 years or 20 years. It's an eternity of riches because God will use those sacrifices beyond your life that it bears fruit and has reverberations in eternity to do things with a treasure of Jesus, a value of Jesus, more than the things of this world. That's the thing. And so even if we have an idea of what's really cool long-term, are you telling me not to save for retirement? No, 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 no. I'm not a financial advisor. I think everybody has to say that, so I'm not giving you any financial advice. I'm giving you advice on worship. If you invest your energies, your talents, your time, your heart in Jesus because of his value, what that does now and through eternity is more valuable than any other earthly pursuit you might have been able to try and find. It does more than anything you might be able to pursue. A life lived for you is a life poorly spent. It's no longer just a year's wages you're worried about, it's a lifetime's wages for you. It is the worst trade-off you could make because you gain the world and you lose your soul. 
but a life devoted to and treasuring Jesus. You don't lose now and you don't lose then. It's the craziest thing. It has immediate impact, media, uh, like, like short-term, mid-term, long-term, and eternal. You get it all. Because Jesus is the only one who can ascribe more value to your worship than you can. I was joking with a buddy of mine. I was praying for him. I said, hey, how can I pray for you? He gave me the prayer request months back, and I've been praying for that. I asked for the update, and, and actually I've been praying the wrong thing for about three months. I, I, like, I, had, I, I was praying with bad information. <clears throat> I said, whoops, my bad. You know, I didn't know. Sorry, I've been, praying. I've been praying for the wrong thing. Totally the wrong thing. Didn't know the details. I'm like, but I said this, half jokingly but half confident. Like, Jesus changed it on the way up. He changed it on the way up. Because I don't have to worry about praying accurately when I want my brother to go through, like, to, to, to honor the Lord in the situation that he's in. I didn't know that situation changed. The Lord's not like, oh gosh, I gotta get that guy back in that situation so I can honor Hans's prayer. I just go, the Lord changed it. Why? Because he knows what's going on, right? He knows people. He knows their situation. He knows their scenarios. And I wanted my brother to be dealing with that situation in a way that honored God. And what I was praying was the backwards thing from what I should have been praying. And I, t- I learned that. I just laughed. And I was like, oh, well. Like, the Lord's got it. He'll ascribe more value to what I'm saying, right? Pray the sun stands still. The sun doesn't stand still. The earth moves around the sun. Who cares? It happened. Read it. Like that kind of stuff where you just go, you don't even have to always be accurate in your prayers so that God goes, oh, finally. Praying precisely like I need. No, we do things and then the Lord goes, that's beautiful. Not only is it beautiful, it's doing more than you thought. It's doing more than you thought. It's having a greater impact than you thought it could have. There's no more worthy treasure than Jesus. Ever. Ever. If you haven't found that out, I pray you will. If you're scared about it, take the plunge. It goes better. And it changes us.